You're listening to The Bulletin, the podcast from the St. Andrews Economist. My name is Elliot Vavitsis, and today I'm speaking with Anne Lipset about the crisis in Ukraine. Anne, how are you today? I'm great, Elliot. How are you? I'm good. Uh, your article that you wrote about Ukraine is very topical. It's making a lot of headlines around the world. Can you give us a little bit of a uh, backstory back to, you know, we all know there's a crisis in Ukraine, but what's, what's the real backstory? Yeah, so... Obviously, this has been going on for a few weeks now, and when I first started to write my article, uh, the United States had just joined other European countries in leveling sanctions against Russian elites um, who are close to the Kremlin and close to Putin um, as in hopes of really just kind of trying to mitigate the threat of a Russian invasion into Ukraine. Um, and so I was originally going to start with my article being, you know, are sanctions enough? And I looked at a brief history of what, the, what sanctions have been in place in Russia since the annexation of Crimea in 2014, um, and then just kind of went through along the history to today. Um, and then on the day I was meant to turn my article in, it was actually announced that the U.S. had sent troops to Germany um, to help back up NATO allies. And that Macron and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, I believe, yeah, Olaf Scholz, um, were going to try and uh, talk some sense into Putin in a colloquial saying um, to try and mitigate that threat. Um, so basically, that kind of answered the question for me. Are sanctions enough? Well, no, because uh, the threat of Putin and the Russian army invading Ukraine is still very much prevalent. Right. And if, if if that's if that's the case, if Putin is dead set on making this invasion invasion happen, uh, is so sanctions? Does that just come off the table, or do you, as as a diplomat, do you have to leave have to leave them in place and have to take sanctions as a serious path path forward before going to war or before direct direct lines of communication? Because now it seems that the only way this is it doesn't go to war is that it's you know someone sits like Joe Biden sits down with Putin and says this is what we're going to do. Yeah. So the way I kind of did my research was asking, well, are sanctions the final line in the sand before a military intervention? And unfortunately, it does seem that way. It's, you know, that it's the most effective, most devastating way to try and bring someone to the discussion table without a, a human life cost. And Putin has not been receptive to those sanctions and has been kind of continuing to blaze on ahead. And I believe it was yesterday or the day before, I just got one of those like Financial Times email blurbs and it said that a U.S. Uh, defense official has come out and said invasion of Russia, or invasion of Russia, of Ukraine is uh, imminent. And just a quick Google search this morning revealed that uh, the U.K., uh, I don't really know what it's called here, but the, de the defense team has said that the invasion could happen at any time, but they're still trying to have talks with Moscow to try and alleviate that threat. But yeah, so I think sanctions are unfortunately not working, but they're kind of the, the last straw. Why would they not? Why would they not be working? Because it's, it's clear that, you know, Russia is a nation of a, 100 120 some million people and its productivity its its economy is 
not at all where it, sh- it should it should be for you know where we are in terms of the globalization of the economy. It's clear that sanctions from past diplomatic incidents with incidents with Russia have worked into effect that they've crippled the Russian economy. Why is the Russian elite and establishment not worried about you know you know more? Because at this point in time, as we speak, it seems that Russia is clearly intends to go forward with some sort of action, whether it's military or uh, any sort of operation. Yeah, and that's something that kind of plagued me as I was writing this article is, um, especially I included a little bit, a little section on what the impacts of sanctions were. And it said that, you know, you could sanction a small group of Russian elites, you could sanction trade, you can kind of do whatever you want with these sanctions. But in the end, it's the average citizen who bears the brunt. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why these sanctions are not working is because it comes down to the mindset of the uh, Russian government. And they have, I mean, as we saw in 2014, they still have this, you know, grand vision of a Russian empire that spans God only knows how far. And it seems that they're very, very much unwilling to give that up. But then the other reason I think these sanctions aren't working, and this is a little bit more of a Euro, uh, European like centered issue, is Russia supplies a large amount of energy resources into Europe. Um, so they're kind of, they have that little bit of leverage where they said, okay, sanction us all you want, but you know, you're not getting your oil, gas, whatever from us. And so they kind of have them in a chokehold. Right. Especially with Germany, that concerns uh, Germany the most. In fact, I think a few months months prior, uh, in end of 2021, even here in the UK, we were concerned about gas prices and that had a lot to do with uh, Russia. So that's that's true, true as well. And, all, and also, is this perhaps part of a broader, potentially failed, I guess, diplomatic gambit gambit these sanctions because it seems that the approach especially coming from washington is that you're you know they're basically going to putin say well do what you want right and mm-hmm. now so now it's now the ball's in putin's court and either he takes ukraine or he doesn't he doesn't so what do you say to that yeah it definitely seems like uh you know we dare you at this point just just try us see what happens um, and that's a, that's a bold statement to make, especially when you consider the human cost that those types of words can have. Um, and the sanctions kind of seem like, a, well, we're going to do this. And, you know, this is your fine. It's almost like this is your final warning, warning, the final slap on the wrist. And if, you know, you don't listen to us, you don't come to the negotiating table to try and alleviate these tensions. Well, then uh, more is the pity to you. We're going to have to intervene militarily. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're even in this place with Russia right now is that a is because you spoke you, you mentioned a, a vision of a Russian empire. Or a, you know, if we look at Vladimir Putin as a individual actor in this in the, in this uh, crisis, you know, think about it. He's a, he was a KGB intelligence officer in East Germany during, when the Berlin Wall fell. He then goes on to witness the collapse of the Soviet Union, and you know, all of these assets that were once state-owned become divided into the hands of, you know, a, a, a privileged elite, somehow becomes pr- president. You know, there's been books that have been written, Vladimir Putin's rise is very, uh, it's shrouded in secrecy. And now it, it appears that he's, you know, he looks like, just, just from a geographical standpoint, he wants to take, 
take back the former lands. Um, is this is 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 it perhaps is the is the Russian side, despite trying to act as if they were calm and calculated in these this you know glo this global power that knows exactly what's happening everywhere at every every moment, is it perhaps that there's a bit of emotion baked into this the Russian response to what's going on, what they're doing. I, I wouldn't. I would think that there's a huge emotional impact uh, or influence. I mean, in this mm -hmm. situation, I mean, as you said, Putin witnessed the quote-unquote, you know, glory days, as it were, when Russia was the USSR and uh, was in charge of a good solid chunk of Europe that they no longer have under their control. And he had to see all of that come apart and collapse. And so it, it, to me, it kind of, if you just think about the emotional influence, it kind of seems like he's trying to settle the score. Um, and he's trying to bring it back to those days, as it were, um, when the USSR had more control. Right. The the other thing is that it's a you know if you look if you look at the historical boundaries of Russia, um, the distance between Moscow and the the closest Western or not not to say Western but closest potential adversary at at this point in time has never been a closer gap. It has. If you think about the, if you if you if you think about it, if you also think about the fact that you know when 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 East and West Germany were allowed to unify, Gorbachev gave uh, was given was made the concession that East Germ parts of East Germany, when they unify with West Germany, can become part of NATO. The new unified Germany can become part of NATO on the condition that no states past uh, the newly unified Germany become NATO states. Clearly, that's that's not not the case. Is there something to be said about that? There's a Cold War mentality that still prevails when the West deals with Russia that perhaps is exacerbating the crisis, even though we're you know we like to think that you know this is all can be solved through diplomacy. Yeah, well, that was another question I was kind of asking myself as I was writing, and it's something that's kept historians and in international relations. Uh, focused people up at night is has the Cold War actually ever ended, at least in the, you know, mental, cultural sense. And I still think, the, especially in the U.S., there's this sense that we're the world's police force, and that extends to our issues with Russia. We have to constantly be policing them because we still see them as a threat. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, definitely something to be said for that, that this Cold War mentality never really went away. Mm -hmm. And that's perhaps driving, I mean, we could say that drives the maybe the United States approach to China, you know, even American media and actually all Western media is trying to frame that as the new Cold, the new Cold War, Cold War even from, I, I believe, even something about that's been written in the St. Andrews Economist itself. Uh, so that's, that's that's very true. And also looking looking uh looking beyond just you know where we are right now with a crisis in 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 Ukraine is this is this a uh, you know the the word appeasement and you know looking back to you know the build up to the second world war trying to learn lessons from the past has now become somewhat of a, a discussion point around this crisis uh do you, do you think that the, the United States and western europe is engaging in appeasement appeasement for a, a sort of an appeasement because it it does seem that uh you know, just in terms of 
what's in Ukraine and what's in Russia and what can be done now versus what can be done later. It's, there is a massive imbalance. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would use the word appeasement just because I know, at least in my mind, that implies some sort of like big concession being made to Russia. But I definitely think there's a sense of, you know, don't worry, we're not going to do anything absolutely crazy. We just want you to, it's almost like they're trying to coax like a wild dog out of a corner here. Like, we're just, we just want to chat. Like, we're just going to. Like we we don't we don't want to we don't want to have to intervene using our military here. We just we want this to be over, and I think a part of that will probably come with a little bit of compromise. But I don't I don't necessarily think like appeasement would be the right word. But there are definite similarities at least. And what's and other than other than I guess obviously Russia from this is looking for national security ultimately out of this exer- exercise. But what does that look like for Russia? Um, earlier with the whole, I think that there's going to be, you know, the issue of their, the fact that, you know, all of their energy being exported into Western Europe, like especially Germany and everything. I think we can see, <laughs> so sorry, I got like continuation of that, maybe even like a little bit more being like, okay, you know, you don't invade. Maybe we talk about upping the amount of energy exports we get from you. Um, and, you know, if you back off, the, and then with the condition that you, that you back off the Ukrainian border and kind of let sleeping dogs lie there. I think it's really, it's really hard to say for certain what that would look like because it's the whole situation is just still so up in the air. Mm-hmm. No one really knows what's going to happen. And, that's, yeah. and, that, and, that, and that leads me to another uh, a question, question, question for you. If no one really knows what's going to happen, is that, is that maybe... Is that maybe where the concessions will be had? Because it's 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 it seems that uh, you know because Russia has been so isolated, it's you know on one hand that does not work to their advantage because a internationally isolated state can never you know be as influential as one that's connected. However, at the same time, now when they're going to negotiations, you know we've seen photos you know Putin and Macron sitting at opposite ends of a thirteen foot table. Um, you know the I believe the Russian foreign minister you know. Through insults at the British 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 foreign foreign minister when they had their had their meet had their meeting in Moscow, it's a this there's it seems Russia's used the isolation to their advantage and no one really knows what they're going to do and does that we does it actually weaken the I guess diplomatic deck of, hand of cards for the West even though you know they are the ones who isolate Russia in the first place with hopes that it would strengthen their position. Yeah, I think isolation could be seen as a double-edged sword um, because they, you, they're they kind of the dark horse. No one really knows what they're going to do, what they're capable of. But at the same time, they're also super isolated. So it's kind of just them against the world. So I can I can definitely see them. There's, some, there's definitely a shroud of uncertainty around them. But I think that's really kind of on a superficial level. And when it comes down to it, um, their isolation may harm more than help at this point. Right. And also, but in terms of isolation, it also seems that, you know, Vladimir Putin was the President Xi Jinping's guest of honor at the Olympics opening, Winter Olympics open ceremony in Beijing uh, last week. It's, it's, it's also, there is, there is some sort of uh, construct, construction of a uh, alliance that between China and Russia that perhaps could uh, 
you know, this this Ukraine crisis could set precedent for because obviously China has a territorial dispute with with Taiwan. So is Russia maybe in that respect not even that isolated because they're they're doing the dirty work of setting precedent for the for the uh, for those who are in the foreign ministry in Beijing in in a grand scheme of things kind of way. Yeah, no, I um I saw that too, and that kind of I kind of brought that up at the end of my article, and you know the general implication, and I'm not sure if this is even directly stated more than implied, but Xi Jinping said, "Oh, we're forming a united front." That should be terrifying, yeah. I think, to especially to the U.S. who has issues with both U.S. and China. Um, I think isolated, when I say isolated, I guess I mean kind of in the context of isolated against Western powers, mm-hmm. but having China kind of backing up should be something that should be of great concern to to those Western powers. Um, and in terms of opening the door for more territorial disputes, like you said, with Taiwan, I think that's something we also very much need to think about. and. Um, it's hard to it's hard to say if China will ever you know follow suit. But I would say if Russia kind of gets their way, then China's kind of at an advantage when they come to the table. Be like, well, you know, you let you let Russia walk all over Ukraine. Why can't you let us do that to Taiwan? So I think that there is definite concern there. Right. And I guess to wrap up, Anne, would you say that what would you say the, the path forward is here? What are the type what are the different situations or uh, situations that could arise now at this point in time going forward? Yeah, so it's I see a ton of different possibilities, but I think the two that stick in my head the most is and this is the first one's the one I hope for the most because it means uh, limited to no military intervention. But uh, world leaders would be able to get Putin to to the table to come up with a compromise and um, hopefully he'll back off. And I, that's kind of the one I hope for, but I, but I think the one most likely is that it's going to have to involve some show of force, some military intervention, because I mean, we've had heavy duty sanctions leveled against Russia since 2014 and things have only gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I hate to think that, you know, we're going to have to deploy people to keep Russia in check. But I think that more likely than not, there will be some form of military intervention. Right. Interesting take. Uh, We'll see what happens in the next few weeks. There's a lot lot on the line as we, I think. What, what's what in terms of what's going to happen so thank you so much for coming on the show i i, I appreciate you speaking on such a uh, topical um such such a top such a topic of importance and uh, for our listeners thank you for tuning in and we'll be back next week with another episode of the bulletin by the saint andrew's economist mm-hmm.